Welcome to Spirit Behind the Screen. Each episode, your host, Marty McCurdy, deep dives on industry trends around high reliability electronics and the supply chain in aerospace and defense. This is episode 44 with Zeph Malik on ASIC advantages, foundry services, and packaging. Hi, this is Marty McCurdy with our Behind the Screen podcast, and today I welcome our VP, Mr. Zeph Malik, uh, who we go way back. So, Zeph, it's always good to have you along with me on the show today. Great. Welcome back. Thank you. We ran our first Basics of ASICs uh, last week, and right now we would like to dive a little bit deeper into the core of the ASIC program that we're rolling out here at Spirit. And if anybody knows uh, the ASIC world, it's you. So if I could tap your brain a little bit on the ASIC side of our offering, I'd like to do that. So let's talk first about, uh, there's really two things. We're going to roll out a few episodes. So on this particular episode, let's talk about package and foundry services. So when we look at the customer base that we have, we're really discussing, you know, not that hundred thousand pieces of of an ASIC we really are looking at that low volume usually not a very high you know technology node right we're always kind of on the trailing edge of things we're heavy on the on analog that kind of stuff so could you touch on just the foundry side of that and and the engagement that we have at that level of at foundry okay well exciting to talk about it Uh, I take you back to history Forty years ago, the distribution you'd be used to be the ASIC Design Center. And this is where great companies were created like Hughes Aircraft and all that. And Avnet used to do an in-house ASIC design. And in those days, taking back to, to history and my old age, LSI Logic, VLSI, OpenSilicon, uh, EASIC, eSilicon, all these ASIC companies came in. And the model was obviously high volume production. But given today where the marketplace is, specialty, low volume, rapid deployment, domestic content, U.S. content is viable. Primarily as technology has progressed, customization can be done relatively quicker, faster, and cheaper stateside than historically it used to be. The marketplace that we are playing in is where we are enabling low-volume, specialty, domestic content made in USA, form factor compatible, package compatible, technology compatible, functional compatible, and with the ability to entitle our users and our customers to have multiple ASICs, possibly in a single design and have multiple ASIC combinations out of a given package to where it offsets the the volume requirement yet gives them flexibility, uh, makes the price point achievable for the volume manufacturing, and gives them the intellectual property where they are now getting a superior product, better reliability, lower power dissipation, higher security, anti-counterfeit guaranteed, Uh, and their own intellectual property that they are able to get on faster lead times. They can have it on the shelves and not at the mercy of the supply chain and long lead times and lack of availability in the marketplace. 
So as the customers and users start controlling their own destiny in the future, the migration to ASIC is, is the most viable strategy to have. And uh, as we enable more made-in-USA domestic content, this is by far the most captive intellectual control of your own property and designs where you can continue to enhance the performance where the standard product left off. So in our case, converting an ASIC of a standard product to the customer is the easiest because we have a working silicon, we have a working design, we have a working test program. So the first offering we have is, is how do we make it into an ASIC which is 100% compatible to what they are currently getting today. So there our job is basically to complete the design and have the package that looks exactly what they're using, have it assembled in the US, and then our foundry selection has to be based on what are we converting. If we are converting a leading edge device, we've got to take a leading edge wafer process. There we have to go to companies that are doing 28 nanometers and 14 nanometers. However, if somebody is asking for radiation built-in, error correction built-in, design redundancy built-in, memory cells designed for rad tolerance and all that, we will possibly have to customize and take foundries that are more catered to what the end circuit use and application was rather than a mainstream commercial foundries. And if the customer would like a domestic content, then we have domestic contents uh, and fabs here. We can have access to BAE design rules. We can have access to uh, you know, uh, global foundries. We can have access to some overseas fab. We can have access to forward-looking TSMC processes. But we do have access to fabrications in Japan and US-friendly, quote, US-friendly uh, fabrication centers so it's all about what we are trying to convert, what the end use is, what the application is, and what our requirements are in terms of what we need to deliver to the marketplace. So our goal would be benchmark the device, know exactly how it performs, design a package that is exactly form factor compatible, understanding the performance requirements, get a new silicon, put the new silicon into the same package that looks like the same except that it is US built, get on a tester, use your old device as a reference, have that program understood, put our new silicon, a new package on a socket adjacent to it, compare the reference point, test it at temperature, test it at corners, and then give it to the customer as a 100% compatible form factor unit. We know the reliability would be better because we are now dealing with an advanced node of a custom ASIC. The die is going to be smaller. The power is less. The power supply regulation is superior. So what we are going to end up producing is a more reliable uh, device than what they have been getting. Because if they were buying a, a universal product, let's say it's an FPGA, they will only use 10% of the circuitry of the device and 90% of the circuitry is sitting in the, in, the, in the dark there, drawing the power, not being utilized. You never know what else is hanging around there for uh, piracy and security reasons. Our ASIC will be custom, only what you need. The die size would be possibly 50% smaller. The power would be less. The form factor is the same. So indeed, our reliability is gonna be far superior 
simply as a function of defect density and die size coming into the play, you're getting a much superior product and then you're controlling your own destiny. So we have a, a, a wide range of options available, Amari, when it comes to foundry, substrate manufacturing and uh, assembly capabilities stateside. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I know that we kind of keep a, a loose uh, knowledge of all the shuttle wafers that are around in the U.S. foundries, which uh, is always helpful. Um, I think one of the things you touched on, first off, I want to make a comment. When I come back to when you mentioned LSI, I've known you for so long, Zef, and, and it must be like a fraternity back there at LSI because you guys have stuck together when somebody mentions LSI you all have some kind of connectivity they and were that's the, really where the where it all started they right? were the pioneers LSI developed a concept of what they called a sea of gates they, they and and that is today called an ASIC so they provided a blank chip to a user it was configured and programmed by the distributor at that time it was Arrow and Avnet and in days a working silicon came out and that enabled a game changer in the industry where you had the likes of Sun Microsystems and you had Silicon Graphics and all these companies emerge primarily because they were able to, uh, to get custom silicon to market. Then all of a sudden the revolution changed because the volumes were not there and along came the FPGA guys like the Alteras and the Xilinx, mm -hmm. the, the pendulum changed. But now I see the pendulum coming back so if you talk about renaissance, you coming back, talk about technology coming back, I'm excited because I see this as an opportunity where what worked 30, 40 years ago, what went overseas is very well going to come back here because it's no longer about operators and number of people. It is about automation, mechanization, uh, computer-generated designs in there, and the perfection is coming in. And the price point as it changes this thing is going to come right back as the uh, defining differentiator for a user is how well you customize your, your design by using custom chip rather than a standard chip from the marketplace. Right. So I'm excited. It takes me back to history. <laughs> but uh, as soon as I add the distributor model to it, I remember the days going to Avnet and Arrow on Bowers Avenue in Santa Clara. That's where the design centers used to be. And I remember they had at least 20 plus engineers that used to design all the chips for Hughes aircraft uh, in El Segundo. So this takes me back to history and yes, it is a, a, a great uh, yes, connection. Very, very nostalgic, <laughs> yes. right? I just remember uh, when I first moved out to the Bay Area and I, I, you were so gracious to give me office space uh, and that's how we met. But the, uh, <laughs> I remember one time we were out to lunch and there was a Mercedes in front of us and and I remember that license plate said SI-AU, and, and we're like, silicon to gold. Yep, exactly right. That was the heyday of our time. But I also remember when Xilinx was just a small little spot over on the dog leg of you know, one of our streets. And I remember when NVIDIA, we lost a couple people to them when they were just a startup. So exactly. look where they are to now. Absolutely. Today. I mean, if you look back at Silicon Valley in the LSI logic days, we used to call that as... Uh, exotic car uh, you know uh, parking lot i remember when they went public and everybody had nothing else but porsches and all that and uh, those were the days when every sales guy there was a company called distribution company uh, called tarcom and the requirement was that every salesperson has to drive a porsche 
So the, so the CEO would buy them an expensive car and they would have more reason to produce and work harder as a requisite. So uh, there's an opportunity for us here, Marty. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, uh, we're dinosaurs now, Zeph, because when you go to the Bay Area, everybody's driving a Prius. So I don't know what to tell you. Hey, you cannot take the Porsche enthusiast uh, yeah. <laughs> excitement yeah, yeah, away. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, I think one of the interesting things also that you said, uh, and, and I know this is always part of the design issues is power draw right so when you have a, a huge fpa fpga like the v5 big power hog there right but it's a it's tried and true and we've sold many of them but when we're looking at even our our latest in our memory and all these things the lp portion of these things is key so when we come to you know a, a new let's call it just a conversion, right? Somebody's designed, they can't get the parts anymore, supply chain constraints or whatever, and we're going to convert that to an ASIC for them. Just the fact that we can use less power is really key, and, and to me, a, a big hurdle to overcome once you're going down the ASIC route. Absolutely, you know, and for us reliability engineers, there's a conventional mindset. And the conventional rule of thumb that we have deployed historically is that anything that runs 10% cooler adds 10% to the life of the product. So if we can make a product that is lower power, if we can make an ASIC that is gonna be 30, 40% lesser power than the FPGA, the consequential benefit of reliability is a step function increment. So it is just not just an insurance of your supply chain issue. There is benefits of, like I said, intellectual property, power, reliability, performance, uh, captive manufacturing enhancement, process improvements, speed improvements, and the ability for a customer's design to vertically integrate improvements successively as you tweak the ASICs. So this is a migration path, and uh, you control your own destiny and performance and not be controlled by what the standard product marketplace puts out you can refine and define your own envelope of performance increments by using application-specific ASICs. So this is uh, you know, not only a supply chain mitigation issue, this is a step function improvement towards controlling and improving your overall system reliability as well. Mm -hmm. I think our, our sweet spot, you and I have always been on the ASICs, has always been very heavy on the analog. So. I think there's a lot of digital folks out there that do designs for ASICs, but analog's always kind of been our wheelhouse, and we've got sitting on some IP uh, availability in that analog. But you also, you from a, a very sophisticated test capability up in San Jose, you've seen a lot of different things in the advanced digital mixed signal, that kind of thing coming out as well. So. If we had somebody in that leading edge, which it's not always in our wheelhouse of aerospace and defense, but if we had somebody in that area, that is also something that we have experienced both in design and test. I think the conversion and the benefit of ASIC is that it is no longer a digital ASIC or an analog ASIC. The convergence is going to be where multiple technologies of analog, digital, and RF is gonna be integrated on an ASIC. So the convergence that I see is the word called mixed signal, and mixed signal will also add and integrate certain RF features. So the future of the ASIC world is gonna be that you don't need a separate analog or a digital there. The ability to integrate multiple technologies on the same silicon, 
is, is where the change is going to come in. At the end of the day, one element that I've not addressed is that your bill of material can be shrunk 20 to 30 percent as well, along with the power enhancement, because now you can integrate a lot of additional logic, adjacent logic on the same silicon that we are producing. So though the first goal is to give a form factor, not try to change the board, but as you enhance your performance, as you enhance your board, as you provide revisions uh, to the board, the number of chips that you can also be will drop when you do customization. So, so there's a benefit all around, and the overall global benefit, though the early price point may be higher, but if you have the vision of understanding all the advantage and all the migration path that it gives you, in the long run, there are the return on investment is justifiable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, for those that didn't catch our, our first episode, that really is where we're seeing our business, right? So we have some ASICs in-house right now, and, and you and I both have business that's happening that we're creating a family of ASICs, right? So somebody does own their own design you know, suite of parts, right? So that is where we see the future going. Well, I know you and I can talk for a long time, so we won't bore our listeners too much, but uh, I think the next episode, which I'd love to dive into right now because I have so many things on my mind, but we'll save it. Uh, the next one is how we test those because if you have somebody that is able to design this thing and there's multiple logic, multiple functions, the, the problem is nobody on the planet is able to test it, but that is definitely our wheelhouse, our sweet spot, so we'll cover that on the next episode. Got it. All right. Appreciate well, it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for being on today. And this is Spirit Electronics with Behind the Screen. Thanks for listening with Spirit this week. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast to let us know what you want to hear about in aerospace and defense. You can find out more about Spirit's value-added services and product lines at spiritelectronics.com.